You're listening to CJSW 90.9 FM, broadcasting in Calgary, Alberta, on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, home to the people of the Treaty 7 region and the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. Samito, welcome to Rave Dad's Diary. Hey, Paul. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate this and couldn't wait for us to like jump into this conversation. Yes, yeah. I'm so excited to talk to you about this album that I've been See? getting into uh, <laughs> over the past few weeks and months and that mm-hmm. will be shared with the world this mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. first off, Supalua is not a word that I was familiar with until <laughs> I was introduced to your project tell me yeah. about your name what is it where does it come from okay so super Lua is basically it basically comes from the portuguese super Lua the sangue de lobo which is super blood wolf moon in english right which is like a rare lunar eclipse you know and for us as a band it just symbolizes the encounter of me and Hyde, you know coming together to do like a project that you know we wanted it to be a sort of like experimental and groundbreaking in some ways, you know. We've both had like very long experiences in music, but very distinct ex- experiences too, coming from, you know, two different backgrounds. I'm originally from Maputo, Mozambique, South of East Africa. Haig is Canadian of Armenian origins, you know, and also like Egyptian, like his parents, you know, lived in Egypt. So, you know, it's like, you know, just two people who are completely different but have the same passion for like music, electronic music and like experimentation coming together. So there's like a clash. It's actually, you know, if you dig the music, you realize it's like a a melt pot of, you know, different genres and different, you know, we're trying to figure out something in there, you know? Uh, So yeah, that's what it is actually. Yeah. So it's the, the, the significance of of a super blood wolf moon, you know, the 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 rarity of it happening uh, yes. is is also kind of the rarity of the like you know butterfly flapping its wings uh, and you and Hag meeting up. Exactly, exactly. And it's also like I forgot to mention that you know the definition says it happens in during the winter time. You know, so it's super cold. And you have these two forces coming together to, you know, you know, to, 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 yeah, coming together and just like, you know, it's explosion, right? So that's what it is. So how did you and Hag actually end up meeting? Where were you introduced to each other? <laughs> that's, that's an interesting story because it happens in 2017. But before that, for the longest time, we had like a couple of friends in common. They don't know each other, these two people. But every time they met me or Hyde, they were like, oh, you guys have to meet, you know, and for a long time, you know. And then at some point, one of those friends, Adrian, was like, hey, I'm going to Hyde's place today. Um, I actually needed help with, with my laptop. And Hyde is really good at, like, you know, optimizing your laptop for, like, music and all of that. You know, it's, it's super geeky. And I ended up going there. I brought my laptop. And obviously, we just started talking about music. And I remember him playing my, he playing me his music. And I was like, oh, this is the sound I'm looking for. From a technical standpoint, I was like, 
this is the song, you know? And he, he was listening to my music. He was like, man, this is the shit, you know? Sorry, sorry for my bad word. But, That's okay. Uh, it's, it's independent radio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it clicked. But one interesting aspect of our friendship was that at that moment, I was sort of taking a break from music. So, you know, I've, I've, I've had a project before. I was, you know, signed to a label and I had toured for like two, two, almost three years, very intense. And at that point, I was like feeling super exhausted. So we hit together and then we agreed that after two weeks or something, I would bring him a few files of new music that I was working on, right? So I dropped two weeks later with two albums, you know? Yeah, yeah, seriously, like, you know, full sessions. And I was like, hey, this is what we have to work on. You know, I'd like us to work on this. And I left. I took off for like four months, you know? But then I came back fresh and, you know, renewed energy. And we started this long friendship. You know, we started bonding and trying to figure out what we could do together. We started working on my record, but after a good, like, 12-month period, I was like, you know, there's something with this project that, you know, it's, 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 it's not, it's happening, but it's, it's a little bit much more complicated, than, complex than I thought it was going to be, right? Let's just take a break and let, let's just create freely. And that's when Super Lua happened, like, in a period of, like, four months. What was, what, what was the first what was the first track that uh you produced that you thought this is it assassinato that was the first track you know um and i remember being because you know the whole thing right was really about like finding a sound you know we're listening to different things that we loved you know i'm a piano was in there and he was tripping because i introduced him to i'm a piano so he was tripping. He was like, oh, this is, I've never heard anything like this. But articulating that and coming out with a personal sound was really what was, you know. So when that song happened, it was almost like, oh, we know, right? Now we know we can do it. But also, like, we have our own way, our own interpretation. So that was the first one. Let's talk about the style of music then. Uh, I, I want to come back to Assassinato because... It is my favorite cut on the record. Really? Uh, I, I have it in some playlists and I listen to it frequently. But yeah. let's talk about where the style of music comes from because uh, it is uh, unique, especially to Western ears. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, tell, tell me about uh, Amapiano. So Amapiano is a, is a style of house music that originated in South Africa around 2012, you know? And one of the most particular things is that it's a hybrid between, like, um, house, sometimes, like, jazz and lounge. But that's the definition, right? What has tended to happen throughout the years is that it actually has become the part of almost anything like people take it and that's what that's what's exciting about it it's like it's a very experimental place you know but there are very specific things that i particularly like about it one of the things is that it actually challenges some of the known conventions of like music production one of them is like instead of like bass lines bass patches patches on songs they use a log drum to do the basses which has a, a quality that is very similar to like Detroit bass, you know, in, in many ways. But because it's very percussive, right, 
it actually acts almost like as a solo instrument in the song and the bass at the same time. So it drives the motion. And then you have a kick, a kick drum that is super mild and also like super low end. Like, you, you know, we, we were analyzing like the spectrum of frequencies very often and we realized that it was really strong at 30 hertz, which is like super uncommon because usually we roll off like 60 hertz below when we do like, you know, when we mix a kick. But that one had frequencies that we don't hear. And if you listen to on the piano, you'll realize that the kick is actually, the bass drum is actually more like a vibration. It's not always present. It's like, it's just, you know, pulsing all the time. Most of like the original one. So there's some things that are super experimental. And I think that's the, that's what is so attractive. It's like new ground and, you know, and it comes out from like like many musical genres. It comes out. It comes out of like you know, uh, townships. Of like you know, from like those like you know, fruity loops. You know, like which are more like consumer level. You know, not like super professional. But maybe because of that, it challenges things are done differently. And it, you know, so yeah. Let's listen to the track Assassinato and people can hear for themselves the, the, the subtle, unique parts of it. I love it.
listening to Rave Dad's Diary on 90.9 FM CJSW. My name is Paul Brooks. I'm speaking with Sumito from Supalua. Hi. Hey, what's up, Paul? Hey, we just heard the track Assassinato. Uh, I love that track. It's so, it, it just feels badass. Can you tell yeah. me about the lyrical content of the song? Uh, first of all, you're singing in Portuguese. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. I think so. Assassinato is more about, you know, collective, like, social responsibility and taking accountability for things. It's a very simple lyric that is basically me naming, like, different um, society roles, like the preacher man, the, the judge, you know, uh, basically, it's, it's taken out of a context, the way it built it, of a martyr, right? It's like, everyone says, basically, the song says, everyone says they did not pull the trigger, but they all pulled the trigger in the end. So when I go like, what I'm saying is that, but in the end, he pulled the trigger, but no one wants to take accountability. So... I, I think it's a song that actually makes a lot of people uncomfortable because it feels like it's really about a martyr, but it's really more about like social accountability in general, you know, like just being able to say, yes, I did this or, you know, it's like nobody wants to take accountability for anything, basically. So I don't know if it makes sense. It's things in my head, you know, so sometimes it's super personal. Right. It does make sense. And I think it also ties into some of the other themes um, yeah. that you explore on the record. Um, yes. You know, and it, uh, uh, let's talk about the track E-Boy, for example, where yeah. uh, the lyrics are talking about, uh, you know, cancel culture and call out yeah. culture and uh, performative uh, exactly. acts of, uh, you know, social justice. Um, yeah. What? Yeah, I find that really interesting that you infuse these topics uh, in, in into the music. Is yeah. it like is uh, is the style of music typically a, a vehicle for political uh, messages, or is this your own interpretation? It's really my own interpret interpretation. I think you know when I hit the studio, I'm always trying to think. Um, what is it that's in, that is in my mind right now? Right. What, what is it that I can say right now, right? And I think when I wrote the album, it was a period when um, 
everyone was having really deep conversations about these issues. And there was so much division, right, in terms of uh, what's wrong and what is right, right? I think there was, there was this, like an obsession about righteousness that actually in the end ends up being very oppressive to many people. And so... Sometimes I feel like the topics were very serious, but were simply reflections of the moment and things that we were going through. Because I feel like in 2020 and 21, we were all involved in like a super heavy conversation in terms of who we were and what kinds of values we, were, we wanted for our societies, you know? And one of them, and so some of the major topics that I explore are really like, um, like you said, like cancel culture, virtual signaling, but also like love through the internet, you know? Um, so eBoy in, in particular is really addressing activism through technology. And also, like you said, virtual signaling and um, hypocrisy that is that sometimes surrounds like cancel culture. I know this is controversial, right? From one side, I think cancel culture was very important in terms of like highlighting some of the biggest issues we had in society and the need to address them right away. But I do also agree in certain ways that it actually shies people away from having honest and constructing constructive conversations. So one of the things that I say, I'll pick up a lyric um, on the song and I say, todo mundo é liberal por detrás do seu iPhone. Todo mundo não é homófobo por detrás do seu iPhone. Todo mundo não é racista por detrás do seu iPhone. Todo mundo é feminista por detrás do seu iPhone. Basically what I'm saying is everyone is liberal, but only behind their smartphones. Everyone is against homophobia, but not in actions, right? Just behind the screens, you know? Everyone is against racism, but only behind the screen. Everyone is a feminist, only behind the, screen, the, the screens, yeah? So, because it's really, it's really, I think, I think there's this, without wanting to be righteous, but I do believe in the importance of being keeping our integrity. If you say something online, you have to live by those rules, you know? So if I'm not, I'm against homophobia, I have to, it has to be real. It can't just be like, you know, a screen. I don't want to be like, so E-Boy is really about that. Um, I felt really strongly about that because I, I, I start from more conversation you know, more building than division, you know, so that's what it was meant to be. Yeah. That's uh, really, it's really interesting. And uh, I, I appreciate that you uh, aren't afraid to uh, explore some of these more, uh, I mean, you, I, I don't think it's that controversial, uh, but, but it, it, it actually, you know, it, it is to some people. And uh, uh, there's an interesting juxtaposition to me about the uh, some of the serious content of the lyrics, but the celebratory party. Yes. Of the of the of of the production and yeah. your your vocal delivery, you know, yeah. and like without me going deeper into it, I wouldn't understand the lyrical content of the songs. Yeah. Um, is that are you intending to kind of bring people in with this 
this this this sound and then hit him with that other layer uh what's your approach totally i think i think here's the thing it's um i want to have these serious conversations and i mean i mean what i say you know i think it's important but also like it's beyond like just being important is i feel the need to be liberated from 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 the 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 oppression of not being able to be who you are. And, you know, I feel that like strongly, but I also want people to be, not be afraid of having this conversation. So the music is really meant to bring you in. We, we can still have fun while having these conversations. I don't know how to put it in a better way, but it's very conscious. It's very nonchalant in the delivery but it's a serious conversation, but we, I don't think these things are mutual, mutually exclusive, right? We can have like a bumping track and like really experimental, like, you know, we can push those compressives out, you know, to explode, but still bring in a level of conversation that is really relevant. I don't know if it makes sense, but... It makes know. complete sense. Let's so, like, let's listen to the track. Uh, you're listening to Rave Dad's Diary on 90.9 FM CJSW. I'm chatting with Sumito from Supalua. They're putting out the album Magnum Dopus this Friday, uh, which is the, I want to say the 25th of yeah. March. Exciting. We're going to listen to the track E-Boy. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, what did I 
You're listening to Rave Dad's Diary on 90.9 FM CJSW. We just heard the track E-Boy by Supalua. And joining me now is one of the members of Supalua, Samito. Hey. What's up? Back. We just heard the track E-Boy. It's a great, great tune. And uh, it has has an important meaning behind it. You... What what caught my attention when when I was first introduced to you uh, was a couple of music videos, yeah. and uh, it's the music videos for Assassinato and and Sarajevo, yeah. and uh, I understand that you shot these music videos like in the same weekend, in the same location, as yeah. part of the same kind of artistic explosion. Yeah. Um, I, if I can, you know, because we're on the radio, 
if I can kind of set up the the aesthetic of the video, um, there are two uh, dancers who were the main characters of, of the videos, and uh, you and Hag V make uh, appearances in the videos as well. But what really strikes me about the videos is the gray, uh, wintry landscape that's quite stark, um, juxtaposed with this uh, very unique uh, choreography and yeah. this like joy and uh, exciting explosion of sound. Um, yeah. So that tension in the video is, and in the videos, is what initially grabbed me and mm. like made me kind of obsess over your music. Um, I want to talk about the making of these videos and and how they came to be. Where did where did this idea come from to take this music that's so joyous and raucous and yeah. uh, presented in this in this way? I think out of like the year two thousand twenty. There were lots of conversations around, you know, um, black bodies, spaces, and how um, how it is important to come up with a, a narrative that reflects more of what like black creatives and black people are experiencing in in in, in North America and around the world, right? I think what we wanted really was to juxtapose. Like, at first, I think you got it very well. Like, that's the idea. Like, that juxtaposition was super, um, that's what we're looking for. And we wanted, the first theme that we really wanted to explore was, like, this idea of black bodies in Nordic landscapes, you know? Not only as a way of claiming um, space, but also as a, in terms of aesthetics, I think it's something that is hasn't been really explored that much. You know, we have these preconceived notions that, you know, if something happens in winter, it's probably, like, dark and sad. If something happens in, like, you know, let's say the south is really happy and sunny. Mm. There's this, you know, but, you know, when you get deeper in those Things. It's like you can have sadness in a joyful, bright space mentally. You can you can actually flip things around. I well, think they're, they're stereotypes, really. They're stereotypes, really. They, yeah, that when you you know you're talking about oh you know if it's this type of song, it's going to be in a, a beachy, sunny location. Uh, that's you know where where your mind automatically goes, where my mind automatically goes. Exactly. And from a creative standpoint, we wanted to question that, you know, and it's funny because for me, it's super easy. I know you, you come from like, you know, uh, electronic a background and like a lot of experience. It's like when you're in those spaces creatively, everything can happen if you have the, 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 the openness to it. And I think what we saw, basically what I saw, what Hyde saw was just like a canvas, you know, we could actually push ourselves to come up with a new perspective. Not everybody gets it, though. Like, you get it, it touched you, but I feel like it takes a long time for people to, like, actually see the purpose and the beauty around it. But I feel like the people who get it really love it. Like, another person that really felt like that was Michael. Michael Red, yeah. <laughs> Michael Red. Yeah, it was like, man, like, the videos, I was like, oh, these people get it, you know? <laughs> 
So when we did that, the big the big thing was how can we actually when we had the idea was like how can we materialize this? Who can we bring in? And it really happened in the context of you know 2020 and all the conversations. And one of the things that I wanted was to bring in like creatives that could actually relate to that experience. So I brought in like as a director, I connected with Christian Boyache Ajeman who's like of Ghanaian origins, but he grew up here, you know? So he, you know, he has a good, you know, balance. He belongs to both places, right? Um, and I brought him in and he was like, he got it, you know? And he started putting it together. He gave us like scripts that reflected that. And, you know, and then we, you know, we um, we got the dancers, Pascal and Shanice, which were amazing, Right, really amazing. Like I think those videos are those two people, you know. And we got them, and what was great was that we were able to like congregate in like this really open space, you know, and visually even, you know, and just like express ourselves. So I think we had a lot to say in that context, and. We basically what I did and I did was to create space for other creatives to come in as well and like share their vision with that. So it's a it's really a combination of many factors that made it happen. I I love. I just want to add. You know, in in the video, um, that is really the sense that I get from the video too. Is that you and Hag are like. Yes, you know, you you are, are providing this space, providing this world, and you're like a little bit off to the side, you know. And the dancers, and that is really the like the narrative, and you're kind of hosting it. That's the impression that I got. And you both look like dope as fuck, like the <laughs> the, the 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 uh, the wardrobe for the, the, yeah, the music yeah, video is like incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember you mentioning that when we first spoke. <laughs> so you know. You know what's interesting? Sorry to catch. It's yep. like I love I love it when people get it because it's subtle, right? But there's these few people that actually get it. And when we met, you were like this and that and that is cool. I was like, oh, he gets it. <laughs> well, that's uh, it's great. It's been a real pleasure getting to know you through through these through these projects. Uh, we've been chatting for some time now. Uh, we don't have a lot of time left. Uh, I, you, you touched on, uh, the, the director of, uh, the, the music videos, uh, their, their artistic direction is present, um, throughout your project. Is that correct? Yes. So, yes. sorry, can you, what's their name again? Uh, Christian, it's Christian Boyache Ajeman. And yeah, so he's been the person that was really behind all the creative direction, you know, and it was really good because for the first time in my music career, I had someone who could actually listen to what we had to say and just really help us materialize it. So that's why you have that feel. He's been a very, very important person to the project and I can't even get to have the words to thank him because that's the vision, you know, that's, uh, yeah. But he also shot Sunny Girl, Sunny Girl. You know, he also did that. 
Well, let's talk about that track. That's the 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 most recent uh, single that you've released, and then the final single from the album, which is out this Friday. Uh, this track is uh, a little bit different from from the uh, more dance forward tracks on the album. Yet it still it still is dancey. It's got that yeah. that subtlety to it. Tell me about Sunny Girl, and I think I want to finish off with that one if uh, if you don't mind. It's it's actually one of my favorite tracks in the in the music because I feel like um, I'm someone who loves like affective like sounds and like things that make you feel something, you know and chords and all of that. But I feel like throughout the experimentation, we really tended to focus a little bit more on the rhythm and, you know. So I smile when I talk about that song but because it's a song that I love, you know. And it's really, Sunny Girl is really about um, virtual love relationships and how the misunderstandings that come with not knowing the, where is the beginning of the relationship and where is the end of that relationship. Mm. It's like going through that motion of like, I know you like me, but I don't really know if you like, you know, like there's so many misunderstandings, you know? Yeah. And the subtleties that are lost through through exactly, texting exactly. and all of that. <laughs> and I wanted to find a way of like bringing that in the conversation because it's really part of our daily lives in a, in a very strong way or like many people's lives, you know? So, um, but it's, what you say about it being like soft yet dancey, one of the things that we did is that we maintained the use of the log drum as the bass sound, even though it was a more subtle, more chill. So it still has the sort of the Emma piano like signature in terms of how the rhythm moves and now the bass line moves, you know. But it's more, it's more effective. It has chords, you know, it's like, you know, beautiful, like, you know, I don't know. Like, I'm just like. I can tell you love this track. So yeah, I, yeah. I want to finish off with it. Uh, Sumito, it's been yeah. a pleasure talking to you about this new record, Magnum Dopus. Um, where can people find your music and, and engage with Supalua, which is spelled S-P-R-L-U-A? You got it. Yeah, exactly. So we can find our music in every, like, you know, digital platform, Spotify, um, Google Music, you know. But you can also buy records on bandcamp.com uh, at superlua-superlua or, like, our website, which is superlua.co, right? Uh, S-P-R-L-U-A.co. So you can find it basically in every platform, you know, you just, but if you want to hit us directly, just get to Bandcamp and let's communicate. We have records for you. It's coming out on vinyl as well. So we have a really nice gift for people. So hit us up. Yeah. It's a we, beautiful we, vinyl package. Yeah. 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 Sumito, congratulations and all the best with the record release. Uh, I'll be watching and listening. Thank you. Well, thanks for having us and greetings to Alberta. You know, we love you already. So well, you're going to come out here soon and uh, we'll, we'll host you. Thank you so much. Much appreciated, Paul. Que eu me apaixono por ti 
que sou Messi Não quero que tu te apaixones por mim Então que fazemos nós aqui nós dois Já que o coração não sabe o que quer Então que fazemos nós só nós dois Já que o corpo sabe bem o que quer Ontem fiquei sem saber, não Perguntar se estavas bem Tu perdeste a paciência De esperar que eu faça um move Faça um move Hoje você diz que está confusa Que é pra não me apaixonar Pedes pra que eu não te deixe Apegar também sem conhecer-me Hoje não respondes já viemos E como sempre somos sem motivo Pra depois voltar sem escusa E sem saber que queres do caso
Yo, everybody, this is Contra from the Science Fox Collective and Carta Madras. You are listening to Rave Dad's Diary on 90.9 FM CJSW. Hey, everybody. This is Big Dave McLean. You're listening to The Blues Witness with Cindy McLeod on CJSW 90.9 FM.
Hey, does this sound familiar to you? If you were a young student in Alberta in the late 1970s, you might have watched many documentaries produced by the National Film Board of Canada. There's also a chance you might have watched them alongside the Sanderson Boys, two brothers who would later go on to form one of the most prolific and best-loved ambient electronic music projects of the turn of the century. And they're the current focus of today's episode of The Reference Desk. It's time to talk about Boards of Canada, an enigmatic duo of electronic music producers based out of Edinburgh, Scotland. Their music invokes a sense of mystery, serenity, and most of all, nostalgia. Before I begin, I'm going to start with a small disclaimer. Michael and Marcus Sanderson are intensely private people. They seldom do interviews and pretty much never interact with their audience online, shunning social networking entirely. This void of contact from the group has led to a number of trolls, hoaxsters, and fakes popping up online. I can assure you that everything you're about to hear from me has been verified to the best of my ability. But should you go read up more online, take it with a healthy dose of skepticism. So let's address the elephant in the room. Why is a duo from Scotland called Boards of Canada? Well, Mike and Marcus Sanderson were actually raised partially right here in Calgary, Alberta, and partially in London, before finally settling down for good in Edinburgh. While in Canada, the two were fascinated with documentaries put out by the National Film Board of Canada, which is where they get their name. Starting as young as 10 years old, the Sandersons learned to play a variety of instruments and how to operate a wide range of recorders, processors, and other sound production tools. This would pave the way for the vintage sound Boards of Canada is famous for. 1986, Mike Sanderson starts Boards of Canada as a band like any other. Drums, guitar, bass, synth, etc. Later that year, he invited his brother Marcus, who at this point had been using his middle name, Eowyn, as a surname for his professional life, to join the band on bass. A notable performance of this particular iteration of Boards of Canada includes an all-night music marathon where a stage invasion resulted in many audience members performing the synth parts with one person per key of the synth. It was described as absolute chaos and some of the best music the band has ever performed. During this iteration of Boards of Canada, the band made several independent releases to be distributed to friends and family. These releases have come to be known as the old tapes. If you can find one and verify its authenticity, you might have a very valuable collector's item on your hands. Where lava pours out near the sea surface, tremendous volcanic explosions sometimes occur. By the early 90s, Boards of Canada had amassed around it a sort of artistic collective that today is known as Music 70 or Hexagon Sun. In time, submarine seamounts or islands are formed. Which also happens to be the name of their Pentland Hills recording studio. This collective has become as enigmatic as the band itself with some fans accusing them of being a cult or a secret society of some sort. This is further exacerbated by several events hosted by the collective called Red Moon Nights, which were bonfire parties that coincided with lunar eclipses. These were held out in the countryside by a ruined monastery where they would listen to experimental music. It's all very cult sounding, but it's easily explained as just being really free and cool. 1996. 
The third member of Boards of Canada, Christopher Horn, departs the band due to personal reasons, and Boards of Canada's life as a duo begins. It's important to note that Mike and Marcus both consider everything and anything released up to this point should be considered separate and something else entirely from Boards of Canada. From this point on, the real Boards of Canada begins. Whew, that's a heck of a history lesson, and we've only begun to scratch the surface. So here's the modern era of Boards of Canada in a nutshell. In total, Boards of Canada has released four albums, starting with 1998's Music Has the Right to Children. Then their second release, the much darker Geogotti, the more organic-sounding album, The Campfire Headface, and 2013's Tomorrow's Harvest. Now, that may not seem like a lot, but Mike and Marcus are notorious perfectionists. The brothers are reported by a member of Hexagon's son as spending nearly all their time working in the studio, with many recording sessions for Geogotti going to 4 a.m., so what happens in all that time? Well, Boards of Canada spends a very large amount of time creating what they call collateral material, which are short audio experimentations. These sometimes grow into full songs or as one of the many, many sub two minute tracks that are interspersed throughout their albums. Mark David Garrett, a photographer within Hexagon Sun and frequent mouthpiece for the band in online forums, claims Geogotti had over 400 tracks before it was pared down to the 23 included in the album. Now, let's extrapolate from that. Say every album requires at least 200 tracks to be conservative. And each EP, of which they have seven, takes 50 tracks. All in all, that means Boards of Canada's archive of unused material contains roughly 1,150 tracks. And that's not counting all the material they made before 1995, which could, in theory, go back as far as 1983. According to Mark Garrett, they've been working on going through the archive with a fine-tooth comb to release a boxed set of oldies and oddities. Though this initiative has been going on for five years now, it could be a while before it sees the light of day. I could go into the intricacies of each Boards of Canada album, but that would take mountains of time that I don't have. So instead, let's talk about their overall sound. As I've said before, Boards of Canada aims to create a sense of nostalgia, which normally is a nice feeling, one of warmth and fondness. Boards of Canada actually twists that feeling into something a bit darker. One forum commenter actually received kudos from Hexagon Sun member Mark David Garrett for getting what Boards of Canada was doing. To paraphrase user Lumpen Griff, Boards of Canada has a strong libertarian streak in that authority and conformity should be shucked off. But there is a danger in that. They are guardians of the mysterious, a place where beauty and madness aren't that far apart, and blissful communal living is only a hair away from brainwashed occultism. Words of Canada is not safe. It doesn't exist to repackage nostalgic, sepia-toned images of childhood. Rather, they're there to preserve your childhood, including parts you'd rather forget. Listening to adults argue, being betrayed by your first friend, blind puppy love, and humiliation. You should be seduced and frightened by their music and recognize you're being seduced and frightened by your own reaction. So let's break down how they actually do that. 
As stated before, Boards of Canada is fond of using samples from old media, like documentaries from the National Film Board of Canada. They also take their samples from other public broadcast sources like PBS. But according to a Hexagon Sun member, many sections of songs that fans think are samples often aren't. It's estimated that less than 5% of Boards of Canada's music is made from samples. However, a large majority of their vocal parts do come from outside sources. Though that doesn't mean all of them. Over the years, Boards of Canada has mastered taking a modern recording and making it sound vintage. This way they can blend their original work and their samples and create one cohesive sound. In fact, many of the vocals found in Geogotti come from original recordings. I think my favorite sample appears in the song Gyroscope and features a voice recording of a number station, which are mysterious shortwave radio stations that broadcast only a series of seemingly random numbers at very infrequent intervals. The recording was made by a friend of theirs and gifted to them for use in their work. music itself. Well, Mike actually spent a large amount of time building their Hexagon Sun studio and purchasing a very, very large collection of old recorders, reel-to-reels, synths, and other modern and vintage music production tools. From the very beginning, analog has been king to Boards of Canada, recording as much as they can to old magnetic tape. This is a long, meticulous process, and once a sound has been recorded, re-recorded, processed, manipulated, and re-recorded again, the final result is an almost ethereal, otherworldly tone. Almost like all the equipment used to record it was damaged, but only a little. Now, I'm running out of time, and there's still mountains of information left to tell about Boards of Canada, so I encourage anyone interested to go hunting for more. To wrap things up, Boards of Canada has such a unique sound that it's undeniable that you've likely heard them at some point. Their music has been featured in Baby Driver, Sinister 1 and 2, Six Feet Under, The Grand Tour, Now Is Good, and in Web 1.0 viral sensation, Salad Fingers. Cupid, come me to taste like Sutton.